I thought it was going to be a really positive coaching call. I was super excited. Sandy had completed her pre-work, and I saw that she wanted to talk about a creative project she was working on. I love helping people work on creative projects. But when the Zoom screen opened, I saw a very distraught young woman. Sandy was near tears. She was shaking. I could sense that she hadn't really had a decent meal in a while, and she couldn't put her words together very well. I could also see that she'd left the front part of her brain called the prefrontal cortex, and she was triggered into her limbic brain or her emotional brain. And all of that was triggered by her amygdala, the third part of the brain that triggers the fight, flight, freeze, and fawn response. Don't worry, I'll break all this science down in a way that's easy to understand. The point is, staying out of the emotional brain and out of the fight or flight response is critical in optimizing your executive function and being the best you can be at work, especially if you're a business leader or a manager. You've got to set the example. It's also important for executives to understand that keeping your people in the most optimum brain state is not only the way to get the most out of them, but the way to keep them the happiest, the most loyal, and the most productive workforce that you can have. Working with teams on optimizing their executive function is some of my favorite work. Stay tuned to hear more about how we got Sandy back on track and how you can stay out of fear and optimize your own executive function and that of your team. You're listening to Crazy Busy, the podcast for executives, entrepreneurs, and savvy fast trackers who want to start their week sane and end it that way too. Here's your host, growth strategist, executive coach, and millennial leadership mentor, Karen Bellantoni. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely an executive, business leader, or a professional that needs to be on top of your game. And you'd be thrilled if your team and your colleagues were too. So one of the most important things you want to understand is the fear response. We don't like to talk about fear at work, but whether we like to talk about it or not, it's there. So I want to give you a shorthand version of the brain science around fear and the fear response. I like to simplify things by saying we have three brains. Initially, in our evolution, there was just one primitive brain. This part of the brain today is called the amygdala. The amygdala had just one function and it was to keep us safe. It wasn't there for fun. It wasn't there for learning. It wasn't there for anything but to keep us alive. And for thousands of years, that's what drove us. It's what gets triggered when we need to run from a bear, right? Our adrenaline, cortisol going straight to the gut, responding to stress and survival. You don't need to think a lot if you're in danger. What you need is energy to run. Responding to stress and survival is something as a species we've been sitting in for a long time. I mean, up until the 70s and still today in many places on the planet, women aren't safe unless they have a man. Not feeling safe 
doesn't keep you in your executive function. It keeps you in this first part of the brain called the amygdala. The second part of the brain that we developed is the limbic brain. It's what dogs, cats, horses have, probably why they're our favorite pets. In this, we add the emotional component, moods, feelings, memories. The third and most recent part of the brain is the neocortex, or what you'll always hear me call the executive function. This is the part of the brain that keeps you making good decisions, being creative, staying calm, focused, collaborative. So what causes problems at work is being triggered by one of the other brains and unable to access your executive function. This can be downright embarrassing or uncomfortable at work. Recently, someone asked me when it was okay to cry at work. And I said, when you hear terrible news about a coworker or their family, there really isn't a work situation that should send you into tears. But that's what happened to Sandy. She spent the better part of two days in this state, was frustrated, upset, and in a cycle of shaming herself for not being able to shake it off and get back to her job. She wasn't able to shake off what her boss said, and that made her fear she would lose her job. The more she sat at her desk and tried to power through, the worse it got. Have you taken a break, I said. She looked at me with big baby eyes like a child and said, I can't afford to take a break. I'm already so behind. Does this sound familiar? Because it's happened to me, and it's likely happened to everyone listening. It's just an insane state. You're really not capable of getting anything done, I said to her. The first thing you have to do when you're triggered is get back into the executive function. You're fighting with a part of your brain that's trying to protect you. Do you understand, I said to her, that we have to get you to shift before you can start powering through work? You're just ignoring your body. You're ignoring your mind and neither of them is gonna get you where you need to be. So I started to explain what I'm about to share with you. In order to know what to do next, we always need to understand fear. I'm gonna focus on the four fear responses that show up most frequently at work. They are fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Many of you have heard of fight or flight. You can understand freeze, and I'm gonna go a little more deeply into fawn. Listen up to identify which of these fear responses feel most familiar to you and how I coach around them. Let's start with fight mode. The person in fight mode has an unconscious belief that staying in power and controlling things is what's going to keep them safe. Their inner voice is quite critical of other people. They feel wounded and take things super personally. They start to project their perfectionism onto other people and shift into a state of high emotion and defensiveness. In the most extreme cases, they can show up kind of like an egomaniac. They can even start getting suspicious, reading things into emails that don't exist. Others really fear them, and especially anyone who's dealt with someone in their childhood who used to respond this way. The way to approach and coach them is to start by diffusing the heat. You cannot engage in any sort of a logical conversation with someone who's quite agitated. You've got to either set your boundaries and say, Joe, I'm happy to talk to you about this problem, but I can see that you're triggered. 
Let's take some time out. If we take a quick break and step away, we can come back and approach this with a more logical mind. Does that sound good? Calming a person down first is the only way to engage them in any sort of logical conversation. When I see someone who's going into a state of fight, I immediately know that they need to be calmed down first, and I'm able to move towards them rather than away from them. Here's a story that really illustrates this point. So last year, I get invited to a really beautiful party. It's called a gala, and it was at a very fancy place in New York City. It was weeks of planning, preparing, what will I do with my hair, my makeup? I got to rent the runway gown, new shoes. It was pretty much more fun just thinking about it than I can imagine. I got very excited. We don't get to go to parties like this every day, and I love to dress up. When I arrived at the party, I was given a little card that had my table number on it, and my friend and I stopped to get a cocktail. At some point, we found ourselves near the table, and just before they announced that everyone should sit down, we started to grab our seats when I noticed that there were name cards, and I didn't see mine. Just sit anywhere, my friend said. You can sit here. I didn't want to sit down in a place where I didn't see my name, so I sat across the table from him and figured I'd meet some new friends. All of a sudden, I started chatting with the gal next to me, And I noticed that the woman next to her was glaring at me. She looked over, and when I went to introduce myself, she just said, who are you, in a very confrontational manner. I responded with, I'm Karen, and was obviously uncomfortable. She had triggered me back. So I quickly brought myself back to center and started observing her. All of a sudden, she stood up out of her chair, and she started yelling, Karen, there's no Karen here. There's no Karen at this table. I took care of the seating myself. There's no Karen here. And then she yelled, Karen doesn't belong here. Well, everyone was staring at me. My date tried to rush across the table, but now everyone was trying to sit down. Thankfully, I didn't need him to rescue me. I leaned over, saw this person was in fight or flight, and went into coaching her. I said, listen, let's go up to the front and make sure this is my right table. I don't want you to be upset. By now, my date was behind me and said, we don't need to do that. This is your table. And I said, yes, we do. And you're coming with us. And the three of us marched up to the front where the woman who checked me in earlier said, yes, Karen, you're at table three. By now, this woman was not even really embarrassed, but just confused because she was convinced that she was right. What happened later was I learned why she was in fight or flight. Someone I knew who also knew her came up to me and shared that she'd been the victim of a kidnapping when she was younger. She didn't trust her intuition when she felt something was wrong. She was at an event. She was in another country, and she was taken and held captive for months. She narrowly escaped with her life. That's why she was in fight or flight. And that's how powerful people's stories are. What they're carrying around is something we can never understand. And why it's so dangerous to mess with somebody who's in that state. They may be reliving a childhood moment. They may be reliving trauma. It's best to calm them down and get rational later. You don't need to be right in the moment. My choice to stay calm and coach her 
saved the evening. Clearly, I could have gone into fight mode and there would have been a scene at the table. I could have gone into flight mode and ran and got some help or found myself at a table with new strangers. But instead, I was able to stay calm and help her through this. It really made the night better for everyone. People who get triggered into fight mode have a real opportunity. They have an opportunity to be a master instead of a warrior. Masters are patient and kind, and they don't have to resort to blaming or shaming other people. They can lead by example. These people often see things that others don't because of their keen sense of control and detail. They hold themselves to high standards. This just needs to be channeled in the right way. Calming down, taking a break, and cooling off is the first way to do that. Help them see the positive intent in others and shift them from being a warrior to a master. The tips I'm giving you are from the outside perspective. When I work with people one-to-one, I work on transforming these issues and triggers from the inside out. Additionally, if it's you that's the fighter, pull yourself away when you feel triggered. Get yourself calm, take some notes, and work on what's really triggering you. Ask yourself, is this really what's happening or are you reacting to something old? The second type of fear response is flight. People who go into flight mode have a belief that perfectionism will keep them safe and lovable. They often sit in a state of hypervigilance, so they're ready to move at any second. If they can't navigate and be sure of their surroundings, they're incredibly uncomfortable, and they can disengage and retreat when they smell a disruption of any kind. Doing, planning, staying busy is what keeps them out of fear. These folks are excellent project managers. They're detail-oriented, and they get more shit done than anybody on your team. However, others can feel abandoned by them because when something happens that triggers them, they just take off, finding safety back at their desk, checking things off their list. People might wonder where they went or why they stopped responding. They have a loud voice in their head that tells them to just keep being productive. The way to approach and coach these people is notice when they seem to be overwhelmed and about to flee. Help them stay present by taking a breath or taking a break. Then move what you're asking of them into smaller chunks. Ask them, what's your most important priority right now? What's just the next step you could take and just focus on that? Or try to get them to disconnect from the feeling like they have to run away. Let them know before you brace a tough subject with them that they can take their time and think about it, but they need to get back to you by the end of the day. Typically, flight people just need a little more space and time to be able to respond, but they need to be coached that it's not okay to just run off. They at least need to say to somebody, this is a little overwhelming for me right now, but if you give me a little time, I promise I'll get back to you. It can be very helpful to give people who go into flight mode questions ahead of the meeting so they can prepare. Learning how to renegotiate their deadlines and project plans can be super helpful for them. I talk about planning in the first episode of this podcast, how do you know if you've had a good day, and renegotiating the plan in can you say no. These two skills will help your flight people a lot. And remember, if you're a flight person, 
Make sure you're speaking up and letting people know you need time and space to come back with an answer. Third, we have the freeze response. So freeze people are tough to coach. They actually disassociate. They believe that people and danger are one and the same thing. They often isolate and many people feel they're loners. Sometimes they feel that if they're even seen, they can get in trouble. So they try to blend into the crowd rather than being distinct and they don't socialize much. Because they're unconscious about how they appear and don't understand why they're not invited more, why they're not receptive more, they get into a cycle of just feeling frozen. If you think about prey animals when they're caught and overcome, they freeze up like the deer in the headlights. These people, when they're presenting, might lose their words or they might seem like they don't care because they're so disassociative. Sometimes they have ADD tendencies, which is another way of disassociating, always switching to something else to distract themselves. People can feel extremely frustrated by them because they seem to be unconscious of what's really happening. They don't have answers for people when they're put on the spot, which can make them seem kind of aloof or incompetent. The way to approach and coach them is help them feel a sense of safety internally. Drop your agenda and get them to take baby steps. In other words, stop pushing and start pulling. You can't even ask someone in freeze mode to step outside with you and take a break to get some fresh air. They just really can't do more than a baby step like, let's stand up. Then once they've done that, why don't we take a step towards the door? Let's step outside the small office and see what's going on in the hallway. After these small steps, we might be able to get them to the break area for some coffee. And as a final step, we can take the coffee and step outside. You have to go piece by piece. They can't make leaps when they're frozen. You can also interrupt the freeze pattern by distraction. You can say, we'll come back to that later if you're in a meeting and talk about a TV show that you saw last night or something safe because their mind's in chaos when you give them something small to focus on or you come up with a safe topic, they'll start to relax and get untriggered. If you freeze up, try to interrupt yourself any way you can. Think of something funny, stand up, change the subject, do something to get out of that state that feels safe, some small focus. You can come back to the topic when you're untriggered. Finally, we have fawners. These people are your pleasers, and most of you have heard about the people who fawn all over you. When people compliment you or overcompliment you or say yes too much, they look in most of their relationships like codependents because they have a belief that staying safe is only possible by being in service and pleasing other people. They believe the price of admission to the relationship is the forfeiture of their own boundaries, sacrificing their own needs. They're seeking approval when they say yes, and especially when they say yes without thinking. It's automatic. These are the people who your team really loves because they always say yes but later they can get really disappointed by them. They don't understand why Joni didn't show up with a deliverable, why she didn't try to renegotiate. 
Joni's actually sitting in shame because she said she'd do something and she's overwhelmed, likely triggered the amygdala in fear and doesn't know how to say, I couldn't make the deadline. The way to approach and coach these people is if they're saying yes to something without checking their schedule first, ask them, are you sure? I'd like to see the map of your work and make sure this is doable. Do you need to give me something back in order to take this on? They are literally terrified to say no. So I train people who are terrified to say no to say, can I get back to you in an hour? Or maybe... Let, let me let you know by email in the next hour. Helping them renegotiate their work can be quite powerful. This will help them de-stress and it'll avoid resentment down the road and create a healthier work environment for everybody. If this is you, please stop. All you're doing is creating more stress for yourself. If the idea of saying yes feels safe and then five minutes later, you feel stressed, you've got to go renegotiate. Please listen to my podcast on the price of your perfectionism. There are great tips and tools for yourself and your team in there. As you can see, none of these states are optimum for you or your team. The only way to keep people out of these four states is to keep them focused in the executive function. Building confidence, teaching them communication skills, understanding what their triggers are, and your own triggers are your first step. Once you know where you're triggered, you can start to put boundaries up. For example, if a project isn't going to be completed on time and it's going to trigger me into an explosion, I know I need to set up a meeting three days before the due date to make sure we're on track. It seems simple, but in a crazy busy workday, these simple steps can be forgotten or thought of as unnecessary. We start assuming. What I learned about Sandy was that her boss triggered something in her that reminded her of a junior high school experience. She had been bullied, and there was a leader who reminded her a lot of her boss. Sandy wasn't clear, but she was having an unconscious reaction that had nothing to do with her work. This happens to people more than you can imagine. When I work in companies, I help leaders and teams understand their own triggers, their fear responses, and how to deal with them. Sometimes I even come in during tense situations and de-escalate. I get people out of crisis and then work with leadership to develop plans for individuals and the company as a whole to get better, spending more time in the executive function and way less time in emotional management. We create structures and boundaries to support productivity rather than letting our amygdala run the show. People talk a lot about empathy, but the truth is you need true compassion to be able to understand that someone is not doing something to you, but rather sitting in their own fear state. You don't have to let it be a crisis before you take action. If you're a business leader that feels your team may not be optimized because they aren't using their executive function, and if you want your team in their executive function more and their fear response less, if you want to understand why some of your inconsistent performers have issues that others don't and how to fix them, let's have a conversation. It all relates back to their individual stories but the good news is there are insights, tools, and strategies that can help them thrive, be more creative, and double their productivity. Send me an email at karen 
at karenbellantoni.com with the subject line, Executive Function, and we'll have a chat about how I can help. Until next time, leave crazy busy behind and become the leader I know you were meant to be. Thanks for listening to Crazy Busy with Karen Bellantoni. If you want to learn about how Karen can help your team, email karen at karenbellantoni.com. We'll be back in two weeks with the next episode of Crazy Busy.